If you will, open your Bibles to the Psalms, uh, Psalm 139, and we're going to read that psalm in its entirety here in just a few moments. Uh, Our focus will be in verses 13 through 18, but I do want us to take a look uh, at this beautiful psalm of David, uh, Psalm 139. Uh, Those of us that have uh, deep and and guiding and foundational biblical convictions about the sanctity of human life may indeed rightly rejoice, celebrate that uh, the United States Supreme Court just a few months ago overturned uh, the morally heinous and unbiblical decision that brought about uh, the Holocaust upon the unborn, unborn that we have experienced for the last uh, 49 years. But the reality is that uh, even though that is a great thing, and even the most uh, godless and the most pro-abortion uh, legal scholar will tell you that it was a bad legal precedent. It was a bad legal opinion. It did not follow the law, but that being said... Again, we are thankful for that, but to be sure, that did not put an end to the murder of uh, the unborn. And so we still want to call attention to this vital biblical uh, issue. Now, I I want to offer uh, what I do sometimes, a a kind of a, a disclaimer, and, and you've heard me say over the years that if I rightly divide the word of truth, if I understand the truth, I speak the truth appropriately, and I speak it in love, and you're upset, at some level, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I, I'm not, I mean, I don't ever want to upset anybody. I'm not, I don't go out of my way to upset people. But, but if you have issues with the word of God, then you have issues with the God of the word, and that's not really so much my problem. But as I've told you before, if you're upset just because I'm being a jerk, if I'm, and I'm really qualified to be that, um, then I will be upset and I pray that I would be repentant. And years ago, it came to my attention. I made, uh, as I do some times, rather a snarky, cynical, sarcastic comment to a fellow pastor friend about what kind of sappy sermon are you going to preach this weekend in view of Father's Day? And he looked at me. He said, I try to avoid going to church on Father's Day as much as I possibly can. My dad abandoned me before my first birthday. And I still struggle with all those realities, having been married many years and having been a successful father. And it gave me, it was really a, 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 an eye-opening type of situation for me. And I never thought about Mother's Day, Father's Day. Never thought about Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, being at times uh, something that brings a certain kind of angst to certain people. And we always want to be sensitive to that. And to be sure, 
There's not a person sitting here that shouldn't be sensitive to the issue of abortion because every one of us sitting here today has been a victim of abortion. That we suffer the consequences of 49 years of the murder, legally, of the unborn. But I also would say to you that to whatever degree, whatever our point of contact is with abortion, whether you have had one, whether you've encouraged a friend or family member to have one, all of the different ways. and It's like all of the other issues that we would talk about, whether it's uh, moral and sexual perversion, uh, whether it's divorce, every one of us in here has been touched by abortion. And, and so I want to say to any and all that we have to have a biblical view of this issue, that indeed it is murder. And if we would know the joy of God's forgiveness, which is true and genuine and available, we must both own it and we must call it that which it is. And as I was thinking through that issue this week, I thought about the reality. How often must we repent of sin and sins or sinfulness? It's an interesting question. There is a once and for all aspect to repentance. That when we are converted, when we are born again, there is a once and for all of eternal consequence that we have indeed turned from sin and we have trusted Christ. Happens one time, and the reality of that, the consequences of that go into eternity. That's great good news, is it not? There's also the reality for the believer. Well, how often do we need to repent of sins, either post-conversion or pre-conversion? And there is a great good news that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is a great truth. But should we ever revisit those things? And just some thoughts came to me as I sometimes reflect back on the foolishness of my youth and unfortunately sometimes the foolishness of my adult and more mature years. I uh, know none of you are guilty of any of those things, but I do occasionally. But certainly with the advent of, of Facebook and people discover, oh, you're a preacher? Wow, never saw that coming. And many times I would go back and say, Maybe I need to apologize. Maybe I need to say something. That was then, this is now. And there is a reality. Yes, I have repented of that and those. And I am forgiven, and it is settled, and I am thankful. But maybe perhaps there is some merit to revisiting. Not so I can just feel terrible and go around shuffling around looking at my shoelaces and engage in a bit of wormology. But so maybe, maybe some infection, some sinful infection has maybe 
gotten back into that old wound. And maybe I need to pray, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way within me and see if once again I can experience the cleansing of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and once again not be driven to despair but be driven to the victory that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ and be renewed and give thanks that that God who sent His Son into our world for our forgiveness has said once again, I forgive you. My son's blood has cleansed you once and for all. Maybe, perhaps, it is an occasional good exercise. Again, not for the guilt and not for the despair, but for the joy of the gospel. Again, the victims, the atrocities, 63 million and counting. Somewhere between 800,000 and 1.2 million abortions per year. I'm told that World War II claimed somewhere, depending on how and who is counting, 40 to 85 million people. We rightly call attention fairly frequently to... uh, the German perpetuation of the Holocaust upon the Jews, about 5 million deaths. If you were to look at the histories of Russia and China and the communist takeovers there, you would see death tolls beyond the 5 million. If you were to look at the Japanese occupation of China prior to World War II, you would see the same. Terrible, terrible atrocities. 20% of our current population of the United States of America have been murdered. A hundred, hear me, goes back to what I said a moment ago, 180 plus million victims of murder for hire. I heard on Albert Moeller's The Briefing Friday morning, kind of a celebration, a mafia kingpin was arrested in Italy, guilty Guilty of dozens of murders. Dozens. We celebrate that one is arrested and presumably will be convicted of dozens of murders. And yet there's a segment of this society that not only defends, but celebrates the fact that there are those out there willing to keep the death toll rising. 63 million plus Certainly, we can speak of the child as a victim, innocent, no reason to end his or her life. The mother, the father, grandparents, aunts, uncles, even society itself is a victim. I am aware that around 10 years ago, you don't think about this, promising young man, late teenage years, committed suicide, I'm told, because his girlfriend aborted their baby. Victim. Goes far beyond what we normally think of. I've I mentioned a moment the societal cost. I ran across an interest. This has fascinated me. We're going to come back to this at the end of the sermon. 
We abort about one million babies a year in this country, give or take. The economic cost to our nation for that one million, now that's, remember, we're multiplying 63 times. The economic cost to the nation of that is nine trillion. Now, not many of us have talked about trillion dollars until just the last few years when we decided we would throw trillions of dollars at this and that and the other, trillions that we don't have. But the economic cost annually, and again, economists have a way of figuring the, amount, the, the value of a dollar as it flows through an economy. Nine trillion, more than the combined gross national product of uh, Germany and Japan, which are the third and fourth largest economies in the world. We flush that down the toilet each and every year. 20% of our population. Add to this, we have been incredibly sensitized in the last few years to issues regarding race and gender. Make no mistake, hear me, make no mistake, babies of colors, of color, and girls of all races have been disproportionately targeted, targeted by founding philosophy, by policy, and by strategic location of abortion mills. You know, there's sex selection abortion, and the sex most often selected to abort is females. What a tragedy. How, how did we get here, and what drives this? They had, I had the thought during the week of a bit of an analogy. Most of you are aware I grew up during the Vietnam War years, 1960s, early 1970s. Um, also, those were the years of uh, great riots related to Vietnam, related to race issues, the assassination of a sitting president, John F. Kennedy, uh, the assassination of uh, the most prominent and successful of all civil rights leaders, Martin Luther King, uh, the death of a presidential candidate, the brother of that sitting president, Robert F. Kennedy. Very difficult decade, and I was shaped, and many of my fellow baby boomers were shaped by those realities. And During that Vietnam War, there was a term that came to my attention. Military-industrial complex. It's, it's, it's the kind of the integration of the political, the military, and the private business interest. And please, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing in it as much as World War II was won because of the courage and the sacrifice and the wisdom and the leadership of great Americans. I don't want to diminish that. It was also won because our industries, our businesses got, biz, got busy producing everything from a gun to an atomic bomb that allowed us to destroy our enemies. But there began to become kind of a strange look at this military-industrial complex, particularly in the post-Vietnam years. Well, why did that war, why, why did it escalate? Why was there more and more men and more and more money? What was this relationship between the politicians and the military and these private businesses that were making 
everything from pistols to nuclear weapons and making them well. Well, you know, if you're a weapons manufacturer, whether it's a bullet or a bomb, both of them have a pretty long shelf life. If you don't shoot that bullet or drop that bomb, there's no really no planned obsolescence for those things. Then you don't have a market to sell another one. So you have a vested interest in what? Let's go fight a war somewhere and shoot these bullets in our warehouse so I can make you some more bullets and sell them to you. Do we, do we think on the business side that maybe some politicians were gigged a little bit with something? Hey, maybe we need to go fight this war. Maybe it's still happening. Do you think the military, having gotten, I'll just use a number, a billion dollars this year, well, if they don't spend it all, they only get $900 million next year. So we better spend that billion and a billion more and keep getting it. And you see this vicious cycle. And so it led me to think about, well, is there a, an abortion industrial complex that, that drives this, that there's so much money to be made in, in killing babies that, that these vested interests, they keep it going, they keep it alive, that we're not going to give up this, uh, this profit that we're engaged in. And so I began to, to look in some numbers. To be sure, there's some big salaries out there for killing babies. It looks like the, the current... Interim president of Planned Parenthood is making $337,000 a year. That's slightly less than the average Baptist pastor, but it's still a good, it's still a good salary, $337K. The average medical director, the average MD that's leading one of these clinics makes $200,000. That's a pretty good salary. It happens to be about 25% more than a comparable position in a non-abortion mill. Two employees at Planned Parenthood made a million dollars a year. That'll keep you interested. Three make more than five hundred thousand, and nine make between two hundred thousand and five hundred thousand. So I'm sure they dig their heels in to the virtues of killing babies. Federal government throws five hundred million dollars a year into that rank toilet called Planned Parenthood. You think there might be? Some money that gets to, into the wrong hands, $500 million. I, just, I saw just yesterday. Imagine this. Now, okay, here I go. In the last three years, $5 trillion, I think. Now, again, Donald Trump started the spending, and I thought he was a good president, but I did not agree with his money plan for COVID. I just thought it wouldn't work. I didn't like much of what he said. But we've sent $5 trillion down that rabbit hole now. And I saw this week, now imagine somebody doing this, that they were, they've been arrested for a scheme to steal $3 million of what's called PPP money. Now imagine that ever happening. I've, I've known of several people that have gone to jail over Medicare fraud. You know, just... Wherever the government wants to throw money, there's somebody right there to steal it, right? I mean, that's kind of the way that system works. But $500 million. Now, I'm told, statistics say there are about 500,000 
surgical abortions annually of the million, and about 500, uh, excuse me, about, uh, uh, about another 500,000 that are now medical abortions. And so, and those medical abortions cost somewhere between 500 and $1,000. In other words, that abortion as a pill might be a $500 million industry, and surgical abortions might be another $500 million. So we're looking at a billion-dollar industry somewhere in that time frame. And boy, are you jaded, like I am, when you go, well, that's not really that impressive. A billion dollars in this economy, uh, $250 million to these drug companies when they're pumping out this and that, particularly when, you know, they've, they've got COVID. I mean, you know, you come up with a good pandemic and, you know, the, the, the tap gets open to the government's money. Or your, your money, I'm sorry, your money. And now, no, make no mistake about it, Walgreens and CVS are salivating to sell that pill. They're chomping at the bits. We want to sell it. Now, are they that interested in killing babies? Well, probably, maybe. But just like a lot of things these days, they want a virtue signal. They want everybody to know we're all about women's rights. Don't give a dime about the baby woman or baby man residing in a mother's womb. But oh yeah, we're all about those rights. Again, that, that, that is a lot of money. But to be honest with you, the money doesn't really add up. It is not that impressive. There's not that much money out there. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, if I could steal three million, I could live a pretty good while on that. But for the most, it's really not about the money, folks. It is ideological. It is moral or amoral. It is philosophically driven. It is worldview driven. It is, as Al Mohler often calls it, it is indeed the culture of death. We, we have become, we are, the society depicted in Romans 1.18 and following that we suppress the knowledge of the truth. How can we do this? Not only are we the society of Romans 1.18, tragically we're the society of Romans 1.32. Not only do they do these things, we celebrate, we stand up and applaud, we raise the flag, we have a parade to celebrate every form of perversion imaginable. And by George, if you don't celebrate, you'll pay. Someone very close to me right now is out of a job. And I think it's directly related to the fact that back in before June of this year, they gave him his package for Pride Month to give to his employees to make sure he displayed it appropriately. And he said, well, I gave it its due attention. I put it in its appropriate place. End of this year, he was told his services were not needed anymore. You think there's not a link between those two things? You know me and, you know me and gambling. I don't bet, but I bet you. 
I bet you. You see, the guilt of the abortionist, the abortion industry, from the politicians down through the practitioners, it is obvious to them and us that it's evil. How do I know? Because they wouldn't shriek like a demon straight from the pit of hell every time the central sacrament of not only the culture of death but of the religion of death is threatened. It's threatened by the witness of the parallel truth of the value of every image bearer and the horror of the murder of the innocent. Again, they have a bad point. They must yell louder. Read with me, if you will, this great psalm. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hands shall lead me, your right hands shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, uh, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. And do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your truth. We thank you for its witness in our lives. I pray that we would be found faithful in proclaiming your truth, that your spirit would work these things deeply into our hearts and our minds. Lord, may we worship you and worship you alone, and in our worship may we be transformed. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For much of my pastoral life, I have often said, I'm, I'm not a big psalm or wisdom literature guy, 
And it, sometimes that wisdom literature tells you something you need to go do or something you need to quit doing. And sometimes I'd rather avoid those kinds of things if I possibly can. No, there is an aspect that wisdom literature is words of God to God's people for wise living, for the sake of doing well, for the sake of flourishing. But the most important thing about the wisdom literature, and you saw it in the particular proverb that I had read today, is that, yes, indeed, the Word of God is in the written wisdom, the written Word of God. But all of the wisdom of God that is written is written to foreshadow the incarnate wisdom of God, who is our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah, indeed, I, I, don't, I don't want to dismiss the ethical demands of the Bible by any shake of the imagination. But at the end of the day, Jesus, Jesus is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is the one that has lived wisely in our place. And so, again, we have these words to us, and this is a complicated psalm. I do want to say just a, a few words about the, the larger picture of the psalm. The, the commentators say, you know, it, 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 it comprises a number of genres. There's praise and thanksgiving. There is a, a hymn directed to God. There is a lament, and there's even that troubling section that is what we call an imprecatory psalm. It is the desire to see the holiness, the righteousness of God displayed and applied to those who are evil. So that, again, God's justice will be seen, God's holiness will be seen, the rightful display of the wrath of God against those who would indeed do evil. And so, yes, indeed, this says something to us about human life. Now, and I want to be sure, I don't think David was inspired to write this so that we in 2023 would have a, an apologetic against the abortion industry, but it is this celebration of life and affirmation of God and His attributes that does function in a way that informs us that indeed these crimes against the unborn and their families are indeed crimes. They are against the will of God. They're against the law of God. And so the, the psalmist notes, and, and sometimes the commentators, again, kind of divide. Is this a comforting thing, all of this perfect, exhaustive knowledge of God, that God knows us intimately, whatever we do and wherever we go? You know, one thing that, that Christians can, can say or do is we can confess our sins. You know why? God already knows all about them. Okay? He knows all about them. And for the believer in Christ, you are forgiven that sin. So why not own up to it? Why not enjoy in the here and now, the application of grace and forgiveness to our lives right now. And so the psalmist 
celebrates this expansive knowledge of God, the omniscience of God. I remember our, our friend Cliff Prosser would often mention the three O's of God. The three O's, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God. And we see here that God knows all things because He is in fully present in all things, in all places, at all times. And He's there because guess what? He made them. He made them. He made all things and so He knows all about all things. You know, one of the kind of jokes around here is my ineptitude as a mechanic. I, I'm not, like I say, if, if you're broken down on the side of the road and I come by, the best thing for you to tell me is, Tim, you need to pray for me. Uh, if I pull out my toolbox, we both have a serious problem, okay? I'll just tell you. But part of it is I, I don't really understand the, the basics. The, all, you know, I, I just, I just don't, I just, don't have a background in it. I don't, you know, I understand. I get some of it, internal combustion engine and all that. But, but just the, the why things work or the why things don't work. You know, many times the manufacturer knows best how to utilize and repair their own equipment, don't they? Because what? They made it. Well, God made everything that is. And He tells us best how to utilize it for His glory and our well-being, even the creation, he informs us as to how we can best utilize it and best keep it. Again, so that it's beneficial to us and a blessing to us as image bearers, and it honors him. And so the, the psalmist rightly celebrates the, the greatness of God and the greatness of his activity, particularly Personally, as he celebrates the fact, that, look there at verse 13, I told you this was kind of our focus, that he has been formed by God. That, 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 that God was intimately and personally involved in his creation, his existence. And so he say, that is a good thing. He celebrates because, because God made him, God knows him inside out. He knows the end from the beginning. And that parallel uh, statement there in verse 13, you formed me, you knitted me together. He's just saying the same thing different ways. Just different, different word pictures of the realities of God's involvement with our existence. That God has indeed created us. We rightly say that life begins at conception. Well, I would even press back further than that. Life begins in the will and the purpose of Almighty God. You see, again, and, and, and sometimes when there is what we call, and, and it's, I think it's okay to say a crisis pregnancy. Someone gets pregnant at an inconvenient time, we, we'll call it, by, by, by tragic circumstance. Sinful circumstance, and sometimes we say, well, that, that means that that, 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 that that child formed should be, can be aborted and, and there's no, a no harm, no foul. Well, what did that child do to deserve to be murdered? Prove how, why, why they should be destroyed. That, that's a separate issue. And, and, and again, because God 
is the giver of that life. It's God's life. How dare any of us ordain, determine that we should take that life? How presumptuous, how prideful is that? And so he, verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow. A number of times in, in Scripture we find these odes, you know, um, God says to, to Job, who in the world do you think you are? To even think for a moment that you could counsel me. Where were you? As Paul wrote, his ways, they're higher. Oh, who, who can fathom, who can understand? The, the greatness of when God chooses through, again, our physical participation. But life doesn't result every time. Life results when God says, let there be life. It occurs then and only then. So God is what? The giver. He is the owner, the designer of that good life. And so, again, my soul Knows it very well. In other words, there's something wired up within me that knows this is a great thing. There's something about my design. There's something about my bearing the image of God that He has impressed upon me even in my fallen state that says this is good and this is great and this is right. That's why these people shriek when you threaten abortion because they know. They know it's wrong. They know life is right. There's something innate, intrinsic, essential about me that I know that life is a good and it is a great gift. Verse 15, my, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, even before the mother knew that there was life, that this life was within her. One of the really neat things that I see, I see it in my children's homes, I see a picture, not of my potential grandchildren, but of my grandchildren as they grow within the womb of their mothers. And, and, and that child is already a member of that family. And, and I know that they, they take their siblings and go, there's your little brother, there's your little sister. Y'all know that. Yeah, y'all know. Isn't that a great thing? This is our family member here. He's with us right now. He's living. He's alive. He's a soul. He has value. And we celebrate his life. And that's a great thing. A few months back, Albert Moeller noted that in 1965, there was a cover to what was called Life Magazine. Now, again, some of you will have to Google Life Magazine, okay? It ain't been around in a while. Uh, kind of close to my heart, one of the great photojournalistic endeavors uh, along with National Geographic in, in, in history. And so a photographer kind of got together with some manufacturers and some scientists. His name, the photographer's name was Leonard Nielsen, and he was able to make the first photographs of a baby in the womb of a mother 
and they are on the cover of Life magazine in all of their glorious color. And, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've told you all this before. Winter of 1977, Florence, Alabama, University of North Alabama, the Harvard of the South, um, I wrote my term paper. It still gives me cold chills to say term paper, you know, because I never wrote them until the night before they were due, which was not a good way to go about that. Students, that's not a good way to prepare for classes. But anyway, um, I wrote a paper on the impact of photojournalism upon America, reaching all the way back. How many of you know who Matthew Brady was? Matthew Brady, derogatypes, ten types of the Civil War. His pictures of that great war, that great atrocity, shaped America. The pictures... How many of you know what uh, the photograph is of the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima? Okay. My professor at UNA had a signed copy by Joe Rosenthal, the guy that shot that picture hanging on his wall. That photojournalism shaped America. But more prominently, and later, photojournalism, the images of Vietnam. We had always seen red, white, and blue pictures of war until we saw what really happened in war with the photographs from Vietnam. Also, the pictures from the Dust Bowl era. And you can go right down the road to the Civil Rights Museum in downtown Birmingham, Alabama, and you can see the photographs of the atrocities of the Civil Rights era and see how image bearers were mistreated. All of those things had a dramatic effect, but I missed this one. In my paper. I didn't know about this until I, I remember, I think I kind of remember the pictures, not necessarily in 1965, I would have been seven. But you can see that these pictures and, and what follows is all of the medical technology that can demonstrate beyond a shadow of a doubt that that which dwells and that which is proposed to be destroyed in the womb of a mother is a human being that bears the image of Almighty God. It deserves the protection of our laws. It deserves the protection of our society. And indeed, it is a sin to destroy that image bearer. And so, the psalmist rightly defines for us and celebrates God's intimate activity and reminds us that indeed human life is by God's design. It is according to God's purpose. And it is His. And if, and if you'll notice that, that, that He says, the days that were formed for me, they were written. They were, they were defined. They were settled in God's book. Who are we, again, to interfere with the realities of life and death. And so, we too must defend and we must celebrate against this great atrocity because as in other places in our scriptures, life is valued and it is affirmed. It is defended and is celebrated. Because indeed, we're made in God's image. And I must move fairly quickly here. Genesis 1.26, how many times have I told you? I've said it recently. 
If you'll master the first three chapters of the Bible, or more importantly, let the first three chapters of the Bible master you, most everything else will fall into place. Human beings are made in the image of God. Tragically, we have Genesis 3. We are indeed marred. And, and sometimes I think some of us reform types rightly emphasizing the tragedy of our depravity, of the reality of our guilt in Adam, of our fallenness. Sometimes it could be mistaken that we would be in some way diminishing the value of every single life. And I want you to know, listen, I, my, some of my friends and folks in the reform side of things may, may disagree with me. But folks, I can tell you this. I sing with great gusto. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, black and yellow, black and yellow, red and white. They are precious in His sight from the moment of conception forward. And I believe. Now, again, and I stand with Moeller, I stand with John Piper, and I stand with John MacArthur. I know not everybody agrees to this, but I believe those 63 million babies or before the throne of Almighty God. However you argue that. And I know there's not a tremendous amount of evidence. You can have a different position. That's my position. Okay? And so, we're glad. We're glad for that. But that still does not give us a right to destroy that sacred human life. Because we are image bearers and because we're special creations of God... We have purpose and meaning. We have origin and identity. We have a destiny. We're not nobody coming from nothing, going nowhere for no good reason. I'll recall for you one more time. We are not just dust in the wind. As I've said many times, if you, know, if you want to know what pagans think, go listen to 70s rock and roll. And I'm sure they're still singing it now. You can probably listen to country music and get the same thing. But it's right there for you. This is what we think. This is what we feel. And so we're made for the glory of God to represent Him, to reproduce, to rule, to rejoice in His goodness. Each and every image bearer. And I would emphasize Going back to Genesis 1, to reproduce, to fill the earth. I'm thankful that we have young people in our church now that are committed to the mandate given at creation to fill the earth. And we're going to, I'm going to say more in just a minute as I close about the atrocity and the tragedy of ignoring that mandate to fill the earth as we've destroyed 63 million and my understanding is now we, we can talk about the million in America but there's about 75 million abortions worldwide we're not the only ones doing this well let's take just a moment how about the victims now let me there's a lot of victimology going on in the world today and and even at some level I'm, I'm kind of sympathetic that, that you look, and I, yesterday popped up Elvis Presley in the ghetto. Remember that song? I mean, remember? In the ghetto? And again, it's a song about the vicious cycle of poverty. Doesn't it end with another little baby child is born in the ghetto? 
to go through the same set of, of, of circumstances. And, and so I'm kind of sensitive sometimes to these realities that, that forces of, of home life and, and culture and society are so formative that, that people in some sense have no other way to go, so to speak. They do, but again, they don't. It's, it's kind of, and even though I say to you, if you have been a proponent of an abortion, own your guilt. State what it is. There, if, 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 if you would know the great reality of God's forgiveness, and you can. Please hear me when I say that. And you can. But you've got to own it. And you've got to confess it. You've got to say what it really is. Again, Confession and repentance sometimes is kind of painful. It's kind of like if you have a wound. You go to the hospital. They don't just sew you up. They don't just slap a bandage on it. They do something very painful. At the very least, they're going to pour something that stings a lot on it. At the very most, they may tell, take what feels like a steel wool brush and scrub it out to cleanse it so that it can heal properly and not be infected. And it's the Word of God that causes us to force the rea- face the reality of our sins so that we may be cleansed and experience His goodness and His grace. But indeed, not only are mothers in some sense victims, but fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles and the entirety of a society that's lost 60 Three million of our fellow image bearers. Ministering to the courageous. There are those that find themselves in difficult situations. You might even at times say, Look, kind of embarrassing, you know, just wish I hadn't gotten, you know. But they have the courage and the fortitude to say no. That this baby will live. And we want to minister to them. We've talked about uh, some of the things going on in in St. Clair County. There are other opportunities. There are those in Jefferson County and uh, even in Clay that that will do this type of ministry that you can jump in and you can help and you can offer to them provision and protecting. Even help them to learn what it means to be a, a good parent. Offer assistance financial and spiritual and all other ways that a young mother might be helped. There are ways to help. Well, let's clear away the clutter real quick in in, in closing. I would emphasize once again, as I've mentioned many times over the last few years, the value of God's law. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Absolute. No murder. We need to recognize abortion for what it is. And again, Ask God's forgiveness. We need to understand that the disregard of God's law is for our destruction, for our demise. It it was fascinating this this week. Al Mohler, again, commented on this atrocious idea of 
the earth is going to overpopulate and we're going to strangle ourselves to death because there are too many people to feed. Some of you baby boomers may have seen Soylent Green. Okay. Anyway, and that all came to the author of the population explosion came, got in the news a few weeks back. But it's, it's folly. I remember that. I, I remember the, the concerns of, of we're going to not be able to feed everybody. And so we got we can't we can't birth children. We can't we can't have children. And China went so far as to adopt a one child policy and even force abortion and sterilization upon its citizens. Well, guess what? Here's where China is today. Their population shrank for the first time in decades. Probably not. It's probably been shrinking for years. They just lie about it because that's what communists do. They lie. It's in their DNA. Their birth rate plunged. And so they have a problem, and it flows out of this one-child policy. They're going to fall about a million births short of being able to maintain their population. Now, most of us kind of think about population kind of like we think about pizza parties. Like if 20 people show up to the pizza party, I only get, what is that, 5% of the pizza. But if only 10 people show up, I get 10% of the pizza, Right? Wrong. Here's the thing. Your birth rate declines, your economy declines, and your quality of life declines. When you have more deaths than births, when you got more old people than young people, you got a problem. When you got more people sucking off society than paying into society, you got a problem. And Western Europe is there, and China is there, and if America doesn't change, we will be there soon. And so we, again, this draconian policy, because what have I told you before? Ungodly worldviews and philosophies, they're, they're contradictory, they're illogical, they're irrational, and they will ultimately collapse upon themselves. Yeah. In France, they're raising the retirement age because they don't have enough people working to pay the retirees because of the drop in the birth rate. Remember what I said previously, one million babies aborted, $9 trillion cost annually to an economy. You want to, you want to spend all this money, but you want to abort all these babies. Sounds like there's a little bit of a contradiction in certain political platforms and ideologies. And so, all of this is happening, and let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah. Moeller wrote this. Biblically, we need to keep in mind that the Bible's very honest about economics and economic effects, about the distinction between economic prosperity and economic deprivation. The Bible's also very honest about presenting economic prosperity is a lot better than a lack of prosperity. Believe that. I'm not a health and wealth guy, but it is better to have something to eat at night than to starve. Okay? Just so you know that. All right. The Bible is also very honest about presenting economic prosperity. It's better, a lot better than lack of that prosperity. And the Bible also ties it to a moral and political issues. It ties it to moral commands. Obedience leads to prosperity. Disobedience leads to lack of that prosperity. This is where Christians understand that at a more basic level, it comes down to creation order and the command of God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. If you see human beings as the problem, as a certain segment of the culture, 
culture and the political elite does, if you see human beings as a problem, then you're going to end up with a very deadly situation. Not only no growth economy or even an economy that's in decline, but more dangerously, a world that sees human beings as the problem rather than as the solution and more fundamentally as a testimony to the goodness and glory of God. These people see human beings as a threat rather than seeing every single human being as a promise, as a potential to make a contribution to the world and to the society. Again, what a world. What a world. We are the ones that know the truth. And we must be bold about that truth, even aggressive about that truth. It is for our own good and for the good of every other person that dwells upon, as those astronauts said so long ago, on this good earth. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your grace, for your testimony to what is good for us, what honors you, what glorifies you, but it also works out well for us. God, I pray that we would give heed to that which you command and that which you condemn. May we honor you in all things. Lord, I pray that indeed that we would live to the day that abortion would be an unthinkable thing in the life of this society and even this world. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for these children that are so much a part of our lives. May you grant to us the opportunity to share and to shape in many, many more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.